Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Squiggly Careers podcast. I'm Sarah Ellis. And I'm Helen Tupper. And we're here to help you with all the ins and outs of work and careers, which seem to be getting increasingly squigglier as every week goes by. (laughs) And this week we're talking about memorable managers. And we know that managers have a really big impact on how we feel at work, the work that we do. There's lots of research and studies that say about 70% of our engagement at work is impacted by the person that we work for, which I always think feels like a massive responsibility if you're a manager. So we thought, what better way to approach this topic than to invite two of our memorable managers from our career to join us for today's conversation. So I invited Sarah Warby, who was my manager at Sainsbury's. She was on the board of Sainsbury's. And she also managed me when we started Amazing If as a side project. And I invited James Tipple, who was my manager when I was at Virgin. And actually, it's interesting, I think. It was the same time that Sarah was being managed by Sarah. Not confusing at all. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So they were both our managers when we started Amazing If. And I think it's quite interesting, actually, that they are the two memorable managers that we went to at Mm. such a pivotal moment in our careers when we were working for them and like enjoying our jobs, but also started our business. And I think when we first thought about doing this episode, we were like, oh, there's some funny stories to share, quite a fun kind of part of our lives with lots of different things going on. So for example, I really remember <laughs> telling Sarah I was pregnant. I was basically being very, very sick and I'd got norovirus and it was all really dramatic. And I sort of rang her out of the blue. I think it was like 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know why I didn't think I could just not wait till the next day. But you know, when you just like have lost all sense of what's happening. And I think I was really panicking (laughs) and I really trusted Sarah. I just thought, I think I've just got to ring her. And so bless her, out of the blue on a Sunday night, she got a phone call from me going, I've got norovirus, I'm really sick. Oh, and I'm pregnant. (laughs) It's like, that's not what you need to hear from someone, is it? And I'd like plan to tell her in a really structured way, you know, like in a very like, yeah, I'm pregnant and this is my plan and here's, here's how it's all going to work. And yeah, it just didn't work out like that at all. So yeah. <laughs> I actually, my one of my funny things with James, which is also like pregnancy related, was um, weirdly, we had an end of year review. Virgin's office was at Paddington at the time and it was in a restaurant, like a pizza restaurant, Pizza Express or something like that, just nearby the office. I remember it. We sat down it was for end of year review and I think I was probably about like three weeks pregnant, like early, two, you know, oh, that right. too early, early to tell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and James had said something like, so end of year review hells, because he calls me hells. <laughs> he just call you that, doesn't <laughs> he? Just call me hells. So, like, end of year review hells, let's get a bottle of champagne. And I, half of me was like, brilliant, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Half was like, I can't drink the champagne. And I had 
about to say, oh, I think I'll just have some sparkling water. And James was like, you're pregnant. And I was like, no, I've been ousted. <laughs> this is way too early. But he was amazing because he actually, you know, he has three children and um, he was just really wise as well as being a great manager. He was quite wise about the, you know. Do you know what, what like Sarah did, which uh, I would always be grateful for? Sarah, let me tell her again. That I was pregnant. Oh, that's so, so nice. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Basically, after I'd finished having norovirus, which was obviously actually quite stressful because I was really worried about was my baby that I'd worked very hard to make happen going to be okay. And it was going to be okay. She was like, oh, I'll pretend I don't know. And then we sat in a meeting in Sainsbury's at work. And then I like told her again in the way that I think I'd always wanted to. And I was like, when I think about that to that now, I'm like, she probably knew that that was like really important to me to try and do it in that way. So nice. So, so anyway, nice. we don't really talk about any of that stuff, do we? <laughs> Basically, we let them talk. We had some questions to ask them and then they just started sharing lots of really, really useful wisdom. And there were stories, but actually to make this not the longest podcast ever, we've kind of kept the stories out as nice memories for us possibly from that <laughs> conversation. And we've left in all the really helpful useful stuff, stuff for you. Yeah. <laughs> all the helpful stuff for you. <laughs> and so some of the things that we talk about with James and with Sarah are we talk about adaptability as a manager. So how managers and how they have adapted to work with different people and also different contexts and companies. We talk about the one-to-one. <laughs> and actually, do you know, I will just say this, a story we had to take out that made me laugh so much about the one-to-one is Sarah Warby talked about her first one-to-one with Sarah Ellis. <laughs> Which I not, couldn't remember, but it was obviously really vivid in her in her oh, memory. It was, a, it was a gem, everybody. Sarah Warby said that Sarah Ellis, my Sarah, came to that meeting with like these really intense questions <laughs> for her about like what's most important to you in life and what does it mean to you to be a great manager? I love that. <laughs> in the first one-to-one. Uh, but anyway. Yeah, it did make me sound a bit... When she then said them back, because she, she obviously really like, remembered the specific questions, I was like, God, that is quite intense yeah but she said that she was borderline impressed or was she just a bit overwhelmed I can't remember what she what her conclusion was I think you made an impact yeah (laughs) (laughs) made an impression there we go Um, so yeah we talk about one-to-ones like what it takes to have a good one-to-one and both Sarah and James actually had slightly different perspectives on, Mm. on that which is really interesting and then the last thing that we talk about is their memorable managers so what have they learned from some of the people that have managed and and also sort of been a mentor to them in the past so it was really interesting for us to listen and hear their perspective because it was slightly different to the conversations we had when we yeah. worked for them. But hopefully there's lots that you're going to be able to take away as well. So let's get started with our conversation with Sarah and James. James and Sarah, welcome to the Squiggly Careers podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So we thought we could get started talking a little bit about adaptability and how, as a manager, you might need to be able to adapt to different people in different contexts. So, James, first question to you. When I was working for you, one of the things that I really valued was the amount of trust and space that you gave me. And because one of my values is freedom, that really helped me to be able to work in a way that worked for me. And what I would love to understand from you is whether the way that you gave me space was sort of like a by default like that's just something that you naturally do for everybody or whether it was by design so that you had realized that that was something that I needed and had adapted your approach so that you could work with me in that way but you might work with someone else that works for you in a slightly different way look it won't surprise you or anyone that you don't manage everybody in the same default way I mean there are some people in our team 
that I just said, yeah, go off and, and do what you think's right, because there were some people who would get you in trouble and others who would be completely floundered about what they would need to do next. So you absolutely have to adapt it to different people. I think kind of one of the most important things that a leader needs to do is make sure everybody's clear on the story you're trying to tell. And then you have to work with each of the individuals differently so that they understand what strengths they've got or you need to encourage them in the right way to get to the same end destination. You can sit in interviews and you can sit with people and you can kind of get a rough idea of they're more this type of person needs a little bit more hand-holding or they're more this person who needs a little bit of room. But it's only when you start to get to know them on a regular basis that you can really hone your ability to talk to them in the right way and in a way that they will then get what they need out of the conversation as well. And so absolutely, you need to adapt your management style to the person that's sitting in front of you at the time. I don't know if this is a build or a challenge, James. I think you're absolutely right in the way you know, people naturally react or the people you inherit or the people you've got brought into your team, how they react when you give them space. And I see it as my role to keep moving them along that line so that they don't react like frightened rabbits when they've got more space. To me, I don't know if there's a sort of element of acceptance of those styles in what you said. But to me, I, I feel like if someone stays in the place of needing handholding, as you described it, no. I haven't done my job. And yes, the first time you say to them, I don't know, what do you think? And fear fills their face. Or, I don't know, go away for a week and reflect on it and come back and tell me what you think. And fear still fills their face. The job is to then develop them to a point where it doesn't fill their face. Because sooner or later, they're going to have to not have their hands held, is my point of view. Does that yeah, do you know what? I, I think that's absolutely right. And that's what happens. And actually, if I look at my leadership team, I think there's only three or four, which Helen was a part of. I think the leadership team being different people and seeing how other people were doing what they did would inspire and provoke that anyway. And with some people, absolutely, you try and develop them because, you know, one day, depending on where they want to go, they're going to have to step up to those things. And I think you got, because we had quite a small team and Helen was off doing her stuff and people would see what Helen was doing and how Helen was managing it. And then you'd adapt and learn as a team. So absolutely, yeah. you need to push them, develop them. There are occasions, and I think this is okay too, where actually you need that person just to stay where they are doing what they're doing because yeah. they're critical in that cog. They don't want to go above and beyond that. They enjoy being in that space and being renowned for doing that thing. And you need to realise that actually that makes them happy. That totally. keeps them where they were, are. And actually to try and push them on, you're just creating a funnel at the top of the pyramid. Yeah, and unnecessary stress and pressure. Absolutely. We all reach our level and it's reaching it and being fulfilled and happy and great at that level is the job then, isn't it? I think the point as well is around, we talk about, we've got to frame progression as so much more than promotion. And I think you can stay in the same role and learn so much more the next year or the year after. And Sarah, I was thinking, one of the things that I didn't see this, because I, I kind of wasn't working for you then, but you've also managed and led very different types of teams. You led a very big team, kind of in a board role at Sainsbury's of hundreds of people. And then you've gone on to be a CEO of kind of a really fast-growing startup. I'm fascinated to know, when you were thinking about your management and your kind of leadership when you went from somewhere like a Sainsbury's to a kind of more of a startup environment. Do you think I would have recognised all of you and all of your behaviour? Do you think it actually it was a continuum or it stayed the same? Or 
how stretchy did you think that kind of elastic band went when you were sort of leading in those different contexts? For me, one of the one of the sort of most important cornerstones of everything in your work life is that I have to be myself. That's why I got so involved in Proud at Sainsbury's. That's why I set up Proud at Sainsbury's, because I can't imagine going to work and leaving half of my life sort of hidden, literally hidden. So, yeah, you'd have recognised me. And also, so the core of me never changes because I can't do that, really. I'd be, And if I was busy doing that, I'd be crap at my job. It takes too much effort and too much brain energy. And I think some of the fundamentals, and you know, James was talking similarly, some of the fundamentals of what you do never change. You know, the job of leading doesn't change. You set the direction, you communicate it clearly, compellingly, consistently, and then you support and inspire people to deliver beyond what they thought they could do. That doesn't change. For me, listening more than I'm talking shouldn't change either. I try really hard to do that. I am an extrovert. I struggle with it, but I try. But listening hard, listening carefully to people, to understand people, that never changes. I think what does change, businesses have different styles and rhythms, right? So even if you're the CEO, you have to manage to that way of life. You know, decisions might be made differently. Some businesses make decisions with really, really hard, robust, deep financial hurdles. Others have more holistic hurdles. And so it's my job. I've got to support and develop people to always think from all angles, but then present their case in the way that works around here. Even if you've got the CEO title, doesn't mean you control all that. You're not queen of everything. We talked a lot about how you adapt conversations with talent, and the people that you're managing. And so the only difference in across businesses is the talent bases are different. The balance of how you're spending your time shifts by the bias of the organization, I'd say. And culture, right? I'll always be me, and I always hope that that creates some kind of cultural impact or bubble that I'm in. But you've got to respect the culture that you inherit as well. Yeah, I think that culture thing is really interesting because we talk a lot about culture and setting the right sort of culture. And the paradox to me in that is that you end up creating clones and you come out of interviews. I remember coming out of interviews and saying, probably with Helen going, yeah, I'm not quite sure they'll fit in here. And actually, if you want the culture to actually grow and expand, you need to constantly make sure that the mix of the culture is changing. Otherwise, you do just create clones of each other and you lose the ability to think differently because you're not bringing that culture in. And it's almost like potentially we should have come out of those interviews and said they wouldn't really fit into our culture. And maybe that's exactly why we need them. So we have got somebody who's going to come in, make our culture even better because they're going to bring fresh eyes into it. And therefore, getting the, don't get me wrong, I think businesses need a culture. But I also think that they've got to be careful whereby that culture doesn't become a clique and you therefore kind of miss out on opportunities for prioritising bringing in more people like you. My most exciting hires are always the people who slightly scare me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, you absolutely know, that you're only their manager because you were born first. So can we just go back to that point of one-to-ones? Because I think for a lot of people yeah. with memorable managers, I think some of the most memorable moments with those managers are in the one-to-ones. What do you think makes for a good one-to-one? So for me, I think one-to-ones are really important because invariably it's the time of the week or the two weeks, however regularly you do it, people get undivided attention with each other. For me, for one-to-ones, it was always an opportunity to get the answer to the things that were bugging me. 
I, as Helen will know, in my dark moments, I try and judge and control stuff when we're under pressure. And so suddenly a whole load of emails might go out about where are we on this, 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 and this, because it's something started bugging me. And as you get more experienced, you kind of try and hold those back until you can get them into a one-to-one. And as you get more experienced, you go into the one-to-one and try and say, this is your one-to-one. What would we like to talk about? Where under the table, you know full well that you've got a list of things that you want to get out of that one-to-one. And if they don't bring them up to you, you're going to get those things out of it. So, and I think that's fine. I think if I've only got half an hour a week with one of my key team members, I want to make sure that the time is as efficient as possible as it is for them. And the best one-to-ones for me are when I've got what I've wanted out of it, and I've got what I've wanted out of it because the person who I've had the one-to-one has addressed all of those things before I ever needed to ask them. And that way, you know, the same sort of, we're on the same page and the same sorts of things that are bothering me have also been bothering them. What would make that even better if there are things that are brought to my attention in that one-to-one, which I've come out of it having learned something. And so I think you can, again, it's a bit horses for courses, but I do think understanding what the role of the one-to-one is and what you both want to get out of those one-to-ones whenever you have them is really key, as those will just become those tick-in-the-box Monday morning meetings where you're just going through the motions. The only other thing that I used to do once a month, I try and do it just about development, not about operational stuff. And whether it was stuff that was bothering them, and quite often all sorts of random, they, they almost turned into counselling sessions, some of them which is fine because, you know, if that's what the person needed to use the time to do, then that's exactly what it was there for. Annual development, annual reviews are ludicrous. Once a year, an annual review, and yet everybody seemed, a lot of people seem to do them. Imagine if you had to pent up all your frustrations for that one time a year that you're actually allowed to talk about your development. I think you do, and I know it's hard, but you do almost need to put a marker in of, right, let's just talk about development in this stuff i know the world is falling apart and we've got to hit this objective and this thing to be able to just park that for an hour and just talk about development would be great sarah have you got a perspective on your one-to-ones and how you manage them um, i think i stumbled it sounded like a sort of james you just got a sort of maturing into the ability to just say let's start with i think i stumbled into that really early through lack of preparation but then you stumble into something and you go, that seems to work. I'll just keep doing that. So roughly, it's not a formula, but roughly my approach is you always kind of start with what's on your mind because the important stuff will come out. And I like doing them relatively frequently. And of course, you'll have other meetings about specific things, right? So it's not like this is the only time we talk, but you're right, it's the undivided attention moment. So to me, it is, and always, you know, since really early days, since I was a little whippersnapper at Unilever, what's on your mind? It's your agenda. And then, of course, I'll have some prompts up my sleeve, you know, maybe about a particular project or about a people thing or about you. So, you know, it's people, projects and your progress. They're the kind of categories that I'll be ready to prompt. But it's not, here's my shopping list. I've got some stuff I want to go through. And if it gets to the point where I have got a shopping list that I'd really quite like to shoehorn into this meeting, then that tells me there's a problem somewhere else. Something's not quite right. If we need to have a sort of bigger development conversation, we usually end up going, let's tee that up as a separate thing. You know, call it once a month, we call out and go, we're going to have a proper development chat. And then the bit about what's on their mind usually tees something up about that person. And if you need to give some feedback, you do it there and then. Or frankly, I prefer to do the feedback, not even my way to week. If you did something brilliantly or you did something that I think needs a, a bit of course correction, I'll just tell you straight away if I can. Um, rather than even wait. 
the thing that make that derails one to ones for me is when the other person's really verbose. That's really difficult, right? It's when the other person takes twenty minutes to describe one thing. That lovely little model that I just described starts to unravel, doesn't it? Because we, we're not going to cover all the ground. So as long as you can keep it quite pacey and punchy, then everything comes out after the question, what's on your mind? So there are two things that are on that, Sarah. It's interesting you say that. I used to really like, and I'm sure Helen probably did this, and I tried to do it as well. I used to like getting an email the day before saying, this is what I want to talk to you about, and I want to one tomorrow. That really worked well for me because it meant I was forced to prepare. I also knew what was coming, and it would then prompt me to think about it. So that made the half an hour, the hour we had, really efficient. Now, not a lot of my direct reports didn't do it. Those that did, we usually had a, a better and more efficient one-to-one. The second thing, which I found interesting, is sometimes people just need to be verbose. With certain people in my team, the importance to them is how they got there in contrast to what the result was. And sometimes, don't be wrong, you need to help them in getting a little bit more precise in, in what they're trying to articulate. But sometimes you also need to just be prepared for a, a good listen. And again, that's going back to a little bit of what we were saying earlier, whereby you need to adapt for different people's styles. And absolutely, you can help them develop because they're being too verbose. You know, you'll both be there until midnight. The journey is important to some people more than actually the result. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And so as we're starting to kind of bring the conversation together, when you think about people you've worked for, and you have to kind of name the people, but when you've had moments in your career that have really stuck with you, what was it that you learned from kind of other people? So kind of taking it out of our four dynamic today that we've been kind of exploring, like, did you have that moment where you suddenly went, oh, okay, it can be a bit like this, or that's really kind of inspired me to think about my leadership? Sarah, do you want to go first? Well, I'm going to be totally honest. Uh, I may live to regret saying this in public forum, but I've learned an awful lot. And I think people listening, you know, when you are having the less positive experiences, apart from maybe planning your way out of them, 
The other thing you can be doing is framing them as a learning opportunity, right? I've learned an awful lot in the spirit of, I'll never do that to someone, right? Now the, the positive answer to your question. I've got two, right? My first boss at Unilever when I was a graduate trainee, the wonderful Colette Lux, she taught me that it's okay to be yourself, it's okay to fight your corner, and it's okay to care. She never taught me any of those things. She taught me how to run a P&L and what, and how to redesign packaging. That's what she taught me. But what she showed me was those things that mattered. And then Stuart Catchpole, who uh, was my boss at Scottish and Newcastle, Stroke Heineken, he is the walking embodiment of radical candor. Probably read that book. If you haven't read the book, you're listening to the podcast, read it. You know, he trod that line between caring highly and challenging highly. I fight a lot. I care highly. I veer into ruinous empathy sometimes and I have to come back out. Stuart really cared and he said exactly how it is when it was. I haven't worked for him for best part of 15 years, but he emailed me yesterday. How you doing? And he was extraordinary. He taught me that radical candor can work. I mean, it can be a bit polarizing too, but it can work. James, how about you? And there are two points I'm going to make here. So I had a brilliant, <laughs> brilliant manager, and she was called Joe Cooper. And I think she's now probably Joanne Cooper because she's in serious and proper position still at GlaxoSmithKline. And, and that's mm-hmm. why I was a graduate. And she was great because she just understood me. She'd tell me when I was being a prat. She'd tell me when I'd done things well, but she just understood how what 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 I needed and what worked right well for me. And I remember her in a very positive way managing me out of her team because I was ready to move on. And there was a little bit of that when you came and told me that you moved to Microsoft. We had talked about it. We expected it. It was the right thing to do. My second point is more, and to be fair, she was one of like the only managers who I kind of like, when I thought about that question, she was the one who came to the front of my mind. And I've had other good managers, I'm sure. And I've had other managers who have been good because... I do exactly the opposite to what they did. But then the second point is more around people who I have seen and thought they do that really well. I'm going to copy that. And there was a manager. So Helen, you'll remember my three things email, which was a way of just communicating stuff to the team every Friday. And it was really about getting them a little bit of insight of what I was thinking. That was nicked or nicked and improved. I loved that three things email. It was brilliant. It's a window into James's world. All of the all of the things that are happening in James's world. <laughs> yeah, something Is it every Friday. Every yeah. Friday, yeah. But I have seen other people do things that I think that's really clever. I spoke to one guy. I spoke to Josh Baylor, who who's a brilliant guy, and a brilliant leader at Virgin. And I just said to him one day, that I, I have to deal with nothing compared to what you have to deal with. How do you do it? And he said, James, it's quite simple. The stuff that I think isn't important, I punt down the road a couple of weeks. And if it's still there, I then have to deal with it. (laughs) Invariably, a lot of those things have sorted themselves out. And you just have to realise what's the really priority stuff and what's the stuff that actually you getting involved with probably isn't going to be a waste of your time. It's probably not going to help the situation. So there are tidbits from various people that I've picked up over the years and you try and emulate it or adapt it into situations and a leadership style that you want to create. So maybe as a, as a final thing to end the episode with, you shared lots and lots with us. So thank you for all of that. Uh, one of the things that we always ask our guests for is their best piece of career advice. So maybe Sarah, if we come to you, a piece of career advice that's helped you and might help some of our listeners. Well, we all work for a long time these days, ever longer. There are many years ahead in your career. 
And you do your best work when you're happy. So make sure you're happy more of the time. My one is this didn't always go down well with my team. It's your career. It's no one else's. Yeah. Don't expect anybody to drive and own your career like you should drive and own your career. There are lots and lots of great people who will help you on your way. But at the end of the day, you know, it's your career. Uh, and I've sat in, you know, one-to-ones and reviews where people have said, well, this hasn't happened and that hasn't happened and I should have been promoted by now and blah, blah, blah. It's your career. You're the one who's going to drive it the best and care about it the best. There are lots of people out there who will help you get to where you want to go, but it's down to you at the end of the day. I hope you found that interesting and maybe I think now on reflection, I wished I'd asked them some of those things at the time yeah like yes. what does a good one-to-one look like for you it's a, it's a good question and who is your memorable manager because I think I probably would have learnt about mm. them from a different perspective if I'd asked them that so maybe if you're brave you can go and ask your manager about some of those questions or maybe reconnect with an old one that's been memorable for you as well so we're coming to the end of our podcast for 2020 and we've got two more left for you so just to let you know what's coming up the next podcast that we've got is our Christmas party podcast hooray <laughs> should we have some sort of jingly yeah I mean that's that going to take effort isn't it to get yeah. a jingle developed yeah. so just insert jingle here in your mind everybody so what are we doing on this Christmas party podcast well we're going to talk about podcasts with some podcasters hooray I hope that sounds exciting everybody it doesn't when you say it like not. that it doesn't no. you've got <laughs> to right. you've, you've got to rebrand that basically Sarah and I are going to be talking to Dan Murray-Serta who is the host of the Secret Leaders podcast and Damien Hughes who is the co-host of the High Performance podcast and we are all going to be reflecting on what we've learned from our guests this year so we've all interviewed lots of different people you know if we think about we've had Margaret Heffernan we've had Seth Godin we've had Simon Sinek we've had David Epstein and that's on the Squiggly Careers podcast Dan has spoken to people like Alan de Botan on his podcast and on the High Performance podcast, I mean, Matthew McConaughey and, yeah. and lots of other people. <laughs> I feel like we're like, um, <laughs> just, you know, that, that little guy over there. There's, there's a range from <laughs> Hollywood celebrities to academics that we love. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are celebrities. Yeah, exactly. Squiggly career celebrities. So we're just going to be reflecting on like the highs and lows of podcasting in 2020 and also some of the wisdom that we have learned from some of the people that we've spoken to so that we can share that with each other, actually, as a little podcast community, but also with you as well so hopefully you'll find that interesting and then the very last one of the year is sarah and my wrap-up of 2020 stuff that we've learned stuff we found challenging stuff that we're going to take forward into next year so hopefully that'll be full of reflective questions that you can maybe take forward for yourself as well but thank you so much for listening hope you found this useful today and we'll be back with you very soon Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 